Welcome to A Word from the Edge, Faith, Religion, and Spiritual Community at the Edge of Secular Culture. I'm Brother Richard Edward Helmer, Rector of Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California, and your host. So what are deacons and what do they do? Today I speak with Margaret Trezevant shortly before she retires from ministry at Church of Our Savior. We talk about the ordained ministry of deacons and their distinctive service in the life of Christian community. I'm going to be talking during this time. A sound, a sound check. That's right. That's perfect. All right. Okay, great. Oh, is that all? That's all. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> is that all? See ya. <laughs> well, Margaret, it's great to have you here. Oh, good to be here it's still. so good to have you with us this past year. And I, I wanted to take um, an opportunity to sit down and, and uh, get a few of your thoughts, uh, particularly on diaconal ministry. But um, more to the point, to, to uh, hear more about your story of how you came to become a deacon in the church, what oh. drew you to it, yeah. and uh, what keeps you, what keeps you going with it. So. Well, you know, I didn't know anything about the diaconate, and and I was at St. Francis in San Francisco. And um, I had just retired from nursing, and I, I was really interested in things theological, and I was really interested in how I could kind of carry my work as a nurse and working in homeless programs, how I could carry that and translate that into life in the church. So I signed up at CDSP. I got into their master's program in ethics and social theory, um, which was fascinating. I really enjoyed that. Um, but I realized that that probably wasn't leading me to what I wanted to do. And at this point, if you had asked if I wanted to go into ordained ministry, I would have said absolutely not, which is why I went into the master's program rather than uh, going for an MDiv. I had no, um, no calling to priesthood. I knew that. Um, and then I took, after a year, I took a leave of absence to kind of reevaluate what I was doing. And it was during that time, uh, St. Francis had a uh, deacon. She was still, I think, at School for Deacons. So she was there doing her, her field ed. And I didn't know from deacons. And, you know, I was watching her. And uh, we went out to coffee. And I thought, huh, well, maybe, maybe that's something I should look into. So I went back. I started talking to Rob Douglas, who is the the dean, and I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for. How do you put that kind of ministry in the world and bring that to the church? And I thought, well, that's just a perfect fit. So I signed up for School for Deacons, and um, and the rest is history. Somebody who never wanted to be ordained to anything. But I think what's interesting is I'm sure I'm not alone in not knowing what deacons do or what deacons are or even you know, that there, that there is such a thing as, as deacons. And the way I got to it was there was a deacon in the parish. And had there not been, I'm not sure that the, the community would have thought of it. I'm not sure that the, the priest there would have, would have thought of it to say, actually, she was trying to encourage me. When I said I wanted to go to school for deacons, I think she was really trying to push me in the, in the other direction. And, and I, think, I think that's a problem with a lot of priests maybe not knowing what a um, vocational diaconate 
really is and really looks like to be able to identify people in their midst that might want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, kind of one of the best-kept secret orders of the church in it that is. sense. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of the things when, when I came here, um, as I was looking in parishes, because I knew that I was, you know, coming to the, to the end of that part of my career, um, that I didn't really want to be in a place where I had to teach the congregation what the diaconate was. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, this, this parish had always had one. You, you know very well what the diaconate is. I mean, you were, you know, you were the organist at the School for Deacons. I mean, you, you saw, you know, the formation and what was happening with that. So, so it bothers me that I'm leaving, and I'm leaving a parish with no deacon, um, but maybe the new parish where I'll be a, where I'll be a parishioner, you know, maybe there will be a place for that. And maybe I'll have more, uh, time and opportunity to maybe go around and talk about it a little more mm-hmm. with people. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the first, the first parish you served, served at as deacon was St. Luke's in San Francisco. No, All right? Saints. All Saints. Yeah. All in, Saints. In the hate. In the hate. Yeah. I had done my field ed there. Uh-huh. And then after I got ordained, my daughter got very sick, so I thought I can't take I can't take it on. So so I called Kenneth, the rector, and, and I said, you know, would you mind if I just sit in the queue? I won't I won't cause any trouble, but I need I need a community right now. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, absolutely. And then you know a few weeks later, he said, now only if you want to, but if you want to, <laughs> um, if you want to, you know, be at the altar or or maybe. When, when our deacon is, is off on a Sunday, if you want to, but only if you want to, he was so sweet. And I said, okay, you know, so I started doing that. And then when their uh, deacon uh, retired, you know, he said, you know, I think you belong here. So I stayed. I really liked it there. Uh, it's a, you know, it's in the hate and it's a quirky little community. But because of where it's located near the panhandle, you mm-hmm. know, they have a lot of interesting characters kind of coming in off the street and every Saturday and they've been doing this for the last 30 some years my husband's still doing it Saturday morning they do a hot meal for the homeless people for the ones living in the park but also you know anybody else that wants to come it's you know they they know about it Mm -hmm. so they used to have you know a hundred or more every Saturday morning and they would do a hot meal and they would get volunteers. I mean, it's funny how they've kept a rotating stock of volunteers going. And some of them are clients, you know, that are the users of the meal program that will come in. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's a it's a lovely thing. And I think they really appreciate it. And, and you know, everybody knows them because they've been coming for years, and which is a sad commentary on homelessness. Um, that you know them because they've been coming for years. They've been mm-hmm. homeless for years. And yet they're... But they're part of the community. They are. Recognize. Yeah. 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 And they may not come to church the next day, mm-hmm. but they will come for coffee hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just it's it's a really it's a really nice uh, it's a it's a lovely ministry that they do. Wonderful. So if if somebody were to stop you on the street and say, "Tell me what a deacon is," now that you have you know these years of experience under your belt and you've served three parishes. I've been at three. I've been at All Saints. I've been at St. Luke's in San Francisco, and then the 
last one here. Yeah, Church of Our Savior. Our Savior. Yeah, yeah, and and so if somebody were to stop you on the street now, given your experience and what you've seen and what you've done, um, and they said, "What what does a deacon do? Who what is a deacon in the church? What what would you say?" Well, my ordination vows say that it's the deacon's job to bring the mm-hmm. needs, hopes, and concerns of the world to the church, mm-hmm. and. Um, and I, I think that's really true. I think it's um, where parishes can sometimes be inward-looking. I think diaconal ministry is always outward-looking. How do, and, and actually, I think my idea of it has, has changed a lot as, I, as I've done it. Um, that <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite, uh, when I taught at School for Deacons, I, I used... Uh, Verna Dozier's, some of Verna Dozier's work, and I've preached about that here, mm-hmm. you know, and, and she says, and I firmly believe this, that, that the church doesn't need another church program. So I think there's always a, a tension between um, what, can, what can the church do, like, you know, having a feeding program at uh, All Saints, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, what we do here, you know, we do the once a month, you know, providing the dinner at the rest shelter, um, these are all wonderful things, and, I, and the group that goes over to Mount Carmel, the Mount Carmel lunch mm-hmm. for, the, for the homeless people. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, these are these are really good things. But I think that, like Verna, I think we need to be thinking bigger. You know, mm-hmm. and how do we live as Christians in the world? And I think it's more than just having a food program, which, while it's appreciated, isn't doing a darn thing for solving the problem of homelessness. It's not getting, getting the systemic change exactly. that we need to exactly. It's like, it's like that old story of, you know, you see all these bodies floating down the river and you're, you know, pulling them out of the river and you're pulling them out of the river, but nobody's going up to the, you know, going upstream to see why there are so many bodies in the river. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when I see my, my kind of diagonal calling, it's to always be focused on um, what we need to do as people of faith to solve mm-hmm. these really to solve these problems that 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 Jesus has very clearly said we need to care about mm-hmm. we need to care about mm-hmm. the poor we need to care about the stranger mm-hmm. um, you know and I think you know our politics today are kind of the antithesis of that even though we love to call ourselves a Christian nation um, if we were really following Jesus, what would that look like? Right. We're coming up, we're coming up to that reading in Matthew. Right. It's the capstone reading right. of the church year this year. And, That's right. And that is, that is um, when did we see you, Lord? You know, right. Um, it was when you brought me water, when you clothed me, when I was naked, when you visited me, when I was in prison. And... Um, the mistake that I think we often make in the West with that reading is we interpret that as an individual action when in fact it's framed in chapter 25 of Matthew. This is something our bishop has pointed out frequently. It's framed not as a judgment on individuals, but in a judgment on the peoples, on, on the people. nations. And I think we don't, yeah. I think modern Christians have kind of lost sense of that. You know, especially in recent years, we've become such an individualist. Mm-hmm. Um, people, you know, our individual rights, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I'm I'm part of that generation that really fought for those things too. That mm-hmm. you just didn't go along with with the group. That you know, you did 
you know, have have these your own rights of, of self-expression. But I think, you know, in the early church culture, they were much more attuned to being rooted in a community. Yeah. And the community is the one that moves. So, you know, yes, as a as a as an American community, we need to do things. But as a um, as a Christian community, mm -hmm. we need to learn how to rethink how we are Christians. Yeah. And it's not, you know, one of the things I love about the diaconate, you know, the, the roles that we have in liturgy, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just, you know, coming to church on Sunday and then you call yourself a Christian, you know, that is just the uh, impetus for what you're going to do for the, for the rest of, of the week. And, and what the deacon does, their role in liturgy, is um, in service. The deacon sets the table, you know, sets the table for the Eucharist. The, the deacon proclaims the gospel to the people. If there is a deacon in the house, the deacon always reads the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, the, the deacon is responsible for either bidding or, in my case, writing the prayers of the people. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that I do, that is, and it's all symbolic, but the last role that I have in liturgy is dismissing the congregation to go out to love and serve the, the Lord. And I think that's that's such a beautiful reminder of this is just the beginning. You know, yeah, you showed up for church. I hope you showed up for church. <laughs> 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 but then, you know, your work is just beginning mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you leave. It goes back to that, that kind of iconic image of the contrast between deacons and priests. The, the priest... This sort of iconic image of the priest is standing at the altar, right? Um, making sacrifice on behalf of or helping the whole of the community make sacrifice together and celebrate Christ's presence um, in communion. Um, and then the deacon is at the door of the church. To say, take that presence. Right, out mm -hmm. into the world. Yeah, right. And um, so people come in to be refreshed and transformed and then, and then equipped to carry their ministry right. out right. for the rest of the week. And, and you know, just as you know, one of the things I love in our, in our history is the idea of the priesthood of all believers, you know, that the congregation, you know, calls the priest to do for them, that, that, they, that they are actually part of that consecrating, and they're calling the, the priest to, to carry that out. Mm -hmm. And or think, lead them in that actually. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget that, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, we're all called to do that. And, mm -hmm. But I think the same is true of the diaconate. It's the diaconate of all believers in probably a way that's more understandable, mm -hmm. you know, than this idea of the priest, you know, doing the action for the, for the people, um, standing in for the people doing, doing this action. Because actually, diaconal ministry is what we are all called to do mm -hmm. as Christians. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, just the deacon does it. It's, um, you know, the deacon represents mm -hmm. uh, what everyone is doing or should be doing. We all we all have that call. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it goes back to um, uh, Bill Countryman's book, Living on the Border of the mm -hmm. Holy. I don't know if you ever read that. I have it, so. you know, and, and now that I'm going to be retired, I'm going to... Be doing a lot more reading, <laughs> so I'll catch up on that. Well, he—I mean—he really focuses on priesthood, but his thesis is certainly transportable to the other two ordained orders. And yeah. In fact, Bishop Mark has really taken that 
the episcopate of all believers, yeah, the, yeah. the oversight that we all have, but also the the diaconos, the the, the diaconal role that we all have, and and um, countrymen really settles, I think, beautifully on this idea that we are living icons almost of these ministries. Yes. In the in the midst of the community, yeah. and we are called to cultivate that. Yeah, yeah. As yeah. icons, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and. You know, one of the things I think that bothers me, and I think the church is grappling with, whether it knows it or not, mm -hmm. is the idea of clericalism. Sure. You know, because I think just the way society is now, um, you know, many churches can't support a full-time priest. Mm -hmm. So a lot of congregations have to kind of take up the slack and do the things that you know, they used to be able to have done for them. Mm -hmm. And... You know, on the on the one hand, that's kind of sad, you know, that we can't even afford to, you know, pray full-time priests. But I think, you know, in the long run, this might be life-giving, you know, because everyone's going to be able to own their own priesthood, own their own diaconate, or their episcopate, you know, and, uh, you know, form those communities. Yeah, yeah. The thing, you know, I mean, I still value a clerical order. Um Actually, we were talking about this in my discipleship group, that I knew I liked the Episcopal Church. I came from a Roman Catholic tradition, um, and I knew that this seemed like a better fit for me. Um, but it wasn't until I went to seminary that I really understood the theology in a deeper way. Mm -hmm. And... And I think that's kind of sad, <laughs> you know, that, that you have to go to seminary to learn these things. But you have to have somebody that knows these things, because I think um, if you don't, you can really go off the rails. Mm -hmm. And I think we see that. Mm -hmm. I think we see, you know, some some faith communities, you know, really thinking that they're, you know, living biblically. Mm -hmm. And um, and I would say they've they've misunderstood a few things. So it's good to have somebody that, you know, has, has studied that. Not to say that you, um, you know, just swallow it all whole. You still have to engage it yourself. But, you know, there, there is still a need for that. Yeah, there's, a, there's a, a, lot, a lot to unpack in what you just said because the part of our DNA as Anglicans is that we, we, we brought together this marriage, if we can call it that, or it is sort of um, um, semi-resolved conflict between the, the Protestant movement and the idea of really bringing the faith back to all of the people on the ground mm -hmm. and helping them take ownership of it, um, while maintaining this sense of clerical order. Um, and, and there is a way in which we are trained and we are tasked, and given the time, and uh, at least in the case of some of us, some, you know, some financial support so right. that we can continue to conserve the tradition. Right. And, and we, can be, we can be a check on going off the rails, as you say, on the one hand, but on the other hand, helping equip everyone for their ministry. And uh, I think the other, the other headwind that we fight so much in the world is... is um, our society, like all societies, as they become more and more advanced in, in terms of technology and also economically, our society gets very specialized. So there is a way in which 
um, we as clergy are viewed right off the bat as specialists, super Christians and specialists, um, when in fact, you know, we're really here to invite people to embrace uh, this way of life as Christians. Yes. And, yes. And, and not to be specialists as much as to unfold their Christian values, their Christian views, their understanding of the way the world ought to be in their daily lives. And, uh, yeah, and I hope we, I hope we do a good, good job of that. Um, I would say, I would say we can always do it better. Well, you know, I, you know, so it's part of it is, uh, you know, the community's expectation sure. of, of what your role is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I don't know how to, how to change that, or if it's really as big a problem as maybe I, I think it is. Um, and I understand in the world today because people are so busy. I understand mm-hmm. wanting, okay, we've got the clerics, let them do it, mm-hmm. because people are busy. Mm-hmm. But, but I think what I think we'd be better if we didn't focus so much on. You know, as Verna Doja would say, church programs to, you know, get people to, you know, expect people to come to and then feel guilty when they just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'd be better off if we just kind of changed the paradigm right. of, of what it is to be part of a Christian community. Well, is it, is it fair to say that I haven't read Verna Dozier, so I... I, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but is it fair to say there is a way in which the church programs send an implicit, not necessarily an explicit, but an implicit message that, you know, come and be Christian for three hours on, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. a Thursday evening. Right, right. Um, when in fact, exactly, we want to shift the paradigm to a place where people understand that their call is to be Christian all the time. Well, she will make the point, you know, that that you have to know what it is to be a Christian banker or a Christian police officer or a Christian teacher or a Christian, you know, whatever. You know, how do you how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, I was a nurse, and I remember back in the day, um, because I grew up in a Catholic church that was very social justice oriented, so you know I had to do something that 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 cared for people. So I went into nursing. Now, the other thing I went into nursing where there weren't a lot of choices for women, um, but I don't regret it. I mean, I you know my nursing career has just been ugh, wonderful and a wonderful uh, eye opening into the world that I never would have gotten any other way. Mm-hmm. But I always felt that well, I couldn't be a banker because you know that wouldn't be serving people. Now I realize that's really stupid. <laughs> you know, it really doesn't matter what you are, unless you're a bank robber, maybe. Um, you can live out, you have to live by your Christian principles if you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Which means, mm-hmm. you know, that you're not going to rip people off on their mortgages. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know those, those kinds of things. Right. Um, you know, you're not, yeah, going to... Uh, you know, just make sure that your cronies are raking in the money at whatever cost it's, to it's, society. It's it's a little bit reminiscent of that conversation that John the Baptist is having. I can't remember in whether it's in 
Matthew or, or Luke, but he's having conversations with the people coming to him at the river and saying, what must we do? And the soldiers are saying, what must we do? And, and he um, says, you know, be content with your pay. Yeah. You know, in other words, don't, don't use your ability to threaten violence. Yeah. To extort money from others. Yeah. And the tax collectors say, you know, what must we do? You know, take right. no more than your fair share. Right. You know, he says, right. he right. says, live, yes. you know, live with a sense of, of integrity in faith where you find yourself. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I think we're, we're all trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. You know, are we all supposed to live like St. Francis and, you know have one robe and you know well, Francis might think so but well you know I thought I thought Fran, you know I, I love St. Francis you know he's he's an interesting character he was a deacon by the way mm-hmm. St. Francis was a deacon mm-hmm. um, actually when I was in Israel I was in Bethlehem and in the church there there is a uh, fresco of St. Francis wearing a dalmatic which is the vestment of the of the deacon mm-hmm. you know, so and one time we went to the cathedral, and uh, they had the statue of St. Francis, and somebody had put a priestal over it. Oh. And so a bunch of us deacons said, well, can't do that. So we went over and <laughs> changed it Changed it around to the side because, because he was a deacon. Um, but but there's, there's one, he's quoted one time as saying, you know, that he, he just lets the Lord provide, you know, his, his food, you know, because somebody always comes and, and gives him food. And I think... Well, how nice for you that you can just sit there and get some food from somebody, but the somebody that gave it to you had to work for it, had to cook it, had right. to do whatever. Right. So, so I think you know, there's kind of that struggle of how much is enough, how much do you give up to follow Jesus? Um, I think the Quakers, you know, I mean, they were um, they were struggling with that too, you know, because their whole thing is sim- simple living. Well, simple living for, you know, somebody that's making a lot of money might be different than simple living. <laughs> I mean, is it you know how how do we how do we decide? Um, I just saw a quote from Dorothy Day. I think was your friend posted it. You know that if you have two coats, then you have stolen one of them from someone who is poor. Mm-hmm. And it sounds okay, but I'm not sure that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we all have to figure that out. I, and and I think one of the beauties of community is, you know, we we grapple with the, these things. Where else do you grapple with these ideas? Um, well, it goes it goes to the witness I think of religious life and its role in the church. Um, and and I think, you know, speaking as a religious for a moment, I think I think there there can be hubris. In, in religious life, just as there is amongst clerics in the church, that we mm-hmm. think everybody should be just should like be us. Like yes, yes. But in fact, in fact, the role is more humble than that. And that's, that's why humility is such a prime virtue for the religious life. And that is that, that you know, we offer a voice, a conscience, and a mm-hmm. witness, and a foil to people's complacency. So it's not so much that what Dorothy Day is saying should be understood as holy writ and absolute, but is actually there to create that moment of conscience for the rest of the Christian community to ask, do I have more than I need? Can I share what I have? Can can you share what I have? And then, you know, especially now, um, when our consumption is destroying the planet, 
Yeah. You know, so talk about a communal effort. Okay, yeah. so um, you know, every time every time you take plane flight, yeah. you know, I was actually having dinner with someone, and, and she says she is just going to live like a like a monk and never never uh, take a flight anywhere. Mm. Um, I I admire her. She won't even put in air conditioning because it's so polluting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm. Boy, it was sure hot this summer, and I'm glad I could turn, you know, I could crank it up a little. But, I mean, these things that you that you have to think about, that every choice that you make has an impacts impact. a larger whole. Yeah. So how do you make those decisions? Yeah. And that goes back to Francis' call, which was, was for, is for us, and he embodied this witness, how to be interdependent again. Right. How to recognize our interdependence and our vulnerability not only to one another, but to creation mm-hmm. and creation's vulnerability to us. And creation and the God within creation, mm-hmm. you know, and how we serve that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, where are you headed from here? I'm not sure. Um, like I said, I think I'm going to have a lot of time to read, and that's probably a lie because I'm sure I'll get involved in other things. Um, well, you already are involved in other things, right? I am involved in other things. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the board of Ritter Center because, you know, so much of my career was with the homeless and homeless mentally ill. Um, and when I moved to San Rafael, that just stuck out that, wow, we got a problem here too. So um, I love Ritter Center. I think they just do wonderful, wonderful work. So it's, it's great that I can offer what expertise I have. I'm actually the only person on the board that has actually has some expertise in in homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the only expertise you need and we have <laughs> you know we have all that other, so other stuff on the board too you know so it's my little piece that that I get to offer so I'll still be doing that mm-hmm. um, and I will be continuing with the rest program, even though that's a, you know, that's a program of Church of Our Savior. Um, I'm going to show up mm-hmm. for that until it ends, and I hope we get a permanent shelter so that there won't be one next year that I'll be coming to. And I'm going to be a parishioner, my husband and I, at Church of the Redeemer in San Rafael, so close, close to home. And also, um, they're a tiny, tiny little community. Mm-hmm. They have like an average Sunday attendance of 20, sometimes more, you know. Um, and it's just a very tight-knit little group. And, and I, I just feel like that's what I need right now, yeah, to have, just wonderful. to have a little, yeah. Not, not many people here know this or remember this, but um, actually we have a very close genetic relationship with Redeemer because it really? was founded by Reg Hammond. No yeah, kidding. Yeah, a ah, former rector here. Right, right. right. And um, so I think I think it was after he finished his tenure here that he went out and founded Redeemer. Wow! And as a as as a place for people to go to because I don't know if the time that that neighborhood was growing or there mm-hmm. was just a seen need in Eastern San Rafael yeah. to ha- to plant a yeah an Episcopal yeah. church there. And, and there course, were lots of families, and it's yeah. probably now lots of grandparents. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I you know we'll we'll see. You know what the what the neighborhood is like, but but I'm looking forward to that. And um, you know, I I imagine I'll be wandering around the deanery 
<laughs> different, different, different churches, you know, doing doing this and that because. So we'll see you out and about. No, you will see me out and about, <laughs> and you know it's funny because, um, you know, so many so many people here have just been here forever. You know, a lot of places and churches that's their church. They've just been there. Their parents were there. They're <laughs> they're here. And one thing I did not realize when I became a deacon is you're traveling. A lot. I mean, you you, do, you don't get that same kind of rootedness in a community. Um, you know, I've been to three parishes, you know, and not counting my, my home parish that, that brought me up. Um, and I, I mentioned that to David Stickley, the archdeacon, you know, but, you know, gee, that's kind of sad, you know, that that you're always, you know, kind of packing up and, and moving, moving on down the road. And, and he said, oh, I look at it as that you just have a bigger family. And he's absolutely right. You know, I, I went to a funeral at St. Luke's this week. And um, it was just so nice to see everybody. I, it felt like home, mm-hmm. you know, or if I go back to All Saints, oh, you know, and of course, I'm on Facebook with all of them. And, you know, I mean, it's just so nice to see people. So it is true. You mm-hmm. know, it just grows your family. So, so yeah, I'll be at Redeemer. But, you know, I have a big family here. <laughs> well, we are so blessed to have become part of your big family. Oh, it's been, it's really been yeah. lovely. Thank you for all you've brought to us. Well, thank you for taking me in. Absolutely. We're going to miss you. I'm going to so. miss you too. But like I say, I won't be a stranger. We'll see you around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doing the diaconal ministry. There you go. Helping those who are in need. And yeah, I don't know if you ever really retire witness. from it. You know? so, yeah. <laughs> True. Thank you so much, Margaret, yeah, for your time welcome. today. You're Great welcome. to see you, as always. Yeah. See you again soon. Okie doke. All right. Thanks for listening to this podcast of A Word from the Edge, Faith, Religion, and Spiritual Community at the Edge of Secular Culture. I'm Brother Richard Edward Helmer, your host. We are a ministry of the Episcopal Church of Our Savior in Mill Valley, California. Find our podcast feed over at iTunes, or in your favorite podcasting service. Give us a rating. Or go to our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org for more information about our spirituality, ministries, and service in the wider community. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.